Welcome back, everybody, again to the Woody Allen Retrospective Podcast. You're here on Woody Allen Adjacent with me, Donald Wonder, and my co-host with the most, James Daniel Walsh. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays. We're back for part two. It is a season of giving. Last time we spoke about Alex in Wonderland. That was very painful, wasn't it? It was excruciating, yes. Before we get started on our recording, we want to give a plug for a good cause. One of our teammates, our crew for Manic Expression, Carly, has a GoFundMe for treatments that she's going through. I'm going to put that link in the description like I've done on the previous couple of episodes. Support her. If you have any extra, she would really appreciate it. She's going through a hard time and we want to show her that support. So if you can find it in your heart, don't be a Scrooge. If you can manage it, support her. I'll put the link down in the description. And we thank you for your consideration. James, the last recording was so painful. I needed something. I needed a palate cleanser. So I was holding on to a movie that in the past I had been calling low-hanging fruit. One of the most celebrated romantic comedies of all time, When Harry Met Sally, is the movie we're finally going to talk about. People have compared it to Annie Hall, other rom-coms, said it's a tier above the rest. But James, I want to ask you, if nobody, if the, if anyone listening to this does not know what When Harry Met Sally is about, would you please explain the plot synopsis before we get into it? Uh, when Harry Met Sally uh, came out in 1989, it's directed by Rob Briner, and uh, it concerns two characters played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, who meet sporadically over the years, and they slowly become friends. And uh, after becoming friends, they fall in love. It's a pretty simple, but uh, very well-made story. Do they really fall in love, though, James? Let me ask you, James. Let me jump in right now. I don't know how long this conversation is going to be, but I'm going to mine all of my burning questions about this movie and about you right now. So... (laughs) When Harry Met Sally is one of their movies, in my opinion, that's always been on television, that's always been playing. It's, you know, when people talk about rom-coms, it's always known to everyone. When was the first time you heard about Watch This Movie? Heard about it. Uh, you couldn't escape it in 1989 when it came out. I mean, I was only nine years old and I knew what it was. And then I don't know if I really saw it on tv the first time i i made a conscious effort to watch it was only maybe five or six years ago Mm. Uh, and i remember being a little dismissive of it like it felt like there was so much hype about it Mm. that it didn't quite live up to it to me and uh it is very derivative of woody allen Next to I Love You, Daddy, it might be the most derivative of Woody Allen of any movie we've talked about. That said, where I Love You, Daddy failed miserably, when Harry Met Sally excels at doing what Woody does best, and, uh, you know, it's a, the second time watching it, I liked it a lot more. I didn't have the expectations and the hype. I was able to sort of just settle in and and enjoy it for what it was. And it's a really strong romantic comedy. Yeah. How many times in your life would you say you've seen this movie? That I'm aware of only the twice, only the other two times. I've probably seen this movie about 20 times, but just like you, it was always kind of, uh, by, I didn't want to watch it. It was always on TV. My parents, my cousins would always watch and laugh there's a, a iconic um restaurant scene that we'll talk about later and you know it was to be honest with you as much as another movie i would say groundhog day this was one of them movies that i heard was great almost a perfect movie that was just on so much it actually made me dislike the movie uh-huh. so i would honestly say consciously how many times have i sat down and watched this movie just like you, James, I would say this is the second time I've actually watched this movie as an adult. And um, I've always enjoyed this movie, to be honest with you. I would even go further and say some of the things in this movie I took on as um, personal belief. 
And to expound expound upon that, Billy Crystal in this movie has um, a belief that I, I took with this movie and ran with in my life for a long time. And that's the belief that men and women cannot be friends. That eventually, the it's like, I would see, um, I think I'm just going to use an, an analogy to kind of explain how we, I'm going to kind of simplify it. It's like a scale. Men and women's relationship is like a scale. And at some point it will tip. And basically he would say, you know, men always want to have sex with women, no matter what. And, you know, it the, it will ruin the relationship it, unless they're already in a relationship. Then the man doesn't feel the urge to, you know, sleep with a woman. And then a man and woman can be friends. Now, that philosophy I actually took in my life when I saw the movie and I kind of um, digested it and I agreed with him for a very, very long time. I agreed with Billy Crystal's character that men and women can't really be platonic friends, especially if they're single. Only after growing up, doing a lot, a lot of growing up, I don't 100% agree, but I can kind of... I, I don't even think it's a juvenile belief. I do believe there's some truth to it, but, you know, self-control and being mature and, you know, is it really that black and white? No. No, but for a long time, I would say to women, you know, nah, men and women can't really be friends, and it was it was kind of immature, kind of dumb. Um, and um, I really like how watching this movie and seeing how things play out. My appreciation for the movie, especially in my older age, I think this really is a strong movie, and I think it's um, I don't want to saying the word timeless is a bit strong, but it's really stood the test of time. And even after all these other romantic comedies we've seen, a lot, a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones, this still has not originality, as you mentioned, but I think the thing that cuts through with me with this movie is it's honest. It's a very honest movie. I feel like Billy Crystal is very charismatic, very honest. And honestly, I just felt like this. these seem like real people. And I really think that's for me, that's what makes this movie have a lot of staying power. That and just, I mean, it's two of the strongest performances in a romantic comedy ever. I would say the strongest performances in a romantic comedy outside of Woody and Diane Keaton and Annie Hall. Because I think Annie Hall is the all time champion of romantic comedies. Yeah. This would probably be in second place. Yeah. It's, it's a genre I'm not a huge fan of, but movies like Annie Hall and When, when Harry Met Sally, they do it in a smart way. They do it in a way where it's not overly sentimental. It's not sappy. It's funny, which is a thing that a lot of romantic comedies forget to be. And yeah, I, I think, I don't know if this, uh, I, I can't, don't, I don't know if this was nominated for any oscars or anything like that it should have been for the two performances the two lead hmm. performances i'll look up that i'll look that up actually while you're talking yeah but um i think this was the movie that meg that made meg ryan a, a huge star yeah billy crystal i mean he'd been around for years before that but this was the movie where she really jumped out yeah and became kind of the the queen of the romantic comedies her and uh, Julia Roberts at the time, sort of going back and forth between who would get the big role in the romantic comedies. Yeah. And she eventually made another one, uh, which I don't think I've ever seen, which is Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, with Tom Hanks. Okay. Which, from what I understand, is a great movie. It's just one of those ones I've never gotten around to. Hmm. She plays this, this uh, usually these very innocent, naive girls. But there's some bite to her in this movie. Like, when she gets angry, she's not messing around. And she's got a lot of self-respect, which is something, too, that, that I think romantic comedies, especially ones that are made by men, oftentimes forget to give the women. They make the women dumb or man-crazy, or they'll do stupid things in order to, to get a man. Meg Ryan has self-respect in this movie. And as much as Billy Crystal might be the the better performer as far as comedy goes, she's as equal in every way. Yeah. And, you know, 
Billy Crystal's character, which is something I did I, before, I rewatched this movie about an hour before we just recording now. And one thing I never really remembered just how cynical his character is. And it's very refreshing because I don't remember in that time. And even in later 90s, characters, especially the male leads, they're either super macho or super reserved. But he it just doesn't seem to he's just he just is. He's unapologetic about his ways, which is so refreshing because if Woody Allen was to do this movie. And he wouldn't just because there's so many similarities within it and Annie Hall. It was just, he's, he's basically, and it's a bit stronger as well. So there's no point, but the Woody Allen character would have obviously been, um, you know, the archetype would have been what Billy Crystal would have portrayed. And the thing is, I actually prefer Billy Crystal's execution because he's not as quippy. He's quirky and he does a lot of funny things, but it just seems so natural. Now, I don't know if you would say, Billy Crystal kind of plays a different version of himself because I do think he does, but I do think I could see him as this person. He did seem like, okay, this is Billy Crystal, but his life and what it was going through and his mannerisms, attitude, it seemed genuine all the way through the movie, even until the end. And I was very glad to hear that there was a lot of ad-libbing in this movie. In the making of this movie, Billy Crystal ad-libbed a lot. In fact, I'll play a clip with the the writer and the director. He pretty much wrote a lot of his own lines, you know, which I guess shouldn't be that surprising, but it just comes off so natural, you know? And um, yeah, I I wouldn't put his character over Meg Ryan because Meg Ryan is a, is a really a breath of fresh air, especially if you've seen some of her future movies where she's playing it more mousy, even though yeah. a couple of movies ago, we spoke about that movie with her and Matthew Bodrick, um, the one where they were getting revenge on their partners, which again is a movie that we both quite enjoyed. Addicted to love. So even there, again, she played it a bit spicy, but for a while, between this movie and that movie, a lot of her characters are quite timid and the girl next door, the cute blonde, and you know, the girl that everyone would love to have as their wife and all that. But one of the reasons I love this movie and Addicted to Love is because her, her personality is just more believable and more energetic written well and yeah man i could gush about this movie a lot but so much works about this movie and um i'll play a clip from the writing director because this is a very organic movie of all these years were seen and multiple times on tv it just felt like it was in, i don't know why in my mind i thought it was very scripted or i've seen this so many times but the truth of the matter is you know, I had just seen this movie played too many times and other people's reverence for the movie kind of enjoyed my feelings of the movie. But now that I'm watching it, you know, with the distance of all of that back baggage and I've heard a director and the writer talk about it, which again, we'll play in a minute. This movie is really, really good, very strong. And it deserves to be right up there as one of the greatest of all time. And given all these decades after, what, two or three decades later, you know, it still stands out. And that's surprising to me. It's kind of a timeless story. It gives you a chance to, I think, feel a little bit nostalgic for the way that romance used to be. And I hate to sound like an old man, but I'm going to. This is not a movie where where Billy Crystal is on Tinder. <laughs> you know, and, and it's the 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 romance between him and Meg Ryan isn't forced. It's not something where either one of them are particularly looking for it. It just sort of happens, which is something that ha in, in the world today happens less frequently. And um, I don't think you can make this movie today, but. It would be, um, I, I do feel like it, it has a timeless quality to it. And it has that, also that feeling, I think, that which Annie Hall also has of, this is how you would want to fall in love. And when a movie can get that right, it's, uh, it's pretty much got it made. I'm going to say, before I play the clip about uh, for the writer director talking about the movie, fun fact. The original ending to the movie, they were they were not meant to be together. That doesn't surprise me because it is so influenced by Annie Hall that 
maybe uh, Rob Reiner just felt like, oh, you know, just like in Annie Hall, they would end up together. I'm very happy that they didn't, they didn't go with that ending. Nora Ephron is the writer, female writer, and the director is Rob Reiner, as you mentioned. Rob Reiner's legendary. He's done so many classic movies as well. There's a YouTube clip for 20 minutes of them talking about the movie. Now, one of the great things about this movie as well is it's kind of interjected with these interviews of couples that have gotten together that explain how they got together. Now, those people are actors, but the stories they're telling are true because the director, Rob Rayner, actually went and got stories about how people got together, but he just got actors to play those scenes, to interweave. And I thought it was, I still think it's a very, it gives the movie some heart, you know? And um, I want to play this clip. It's a three-minute clip talking where they talk about making this movie. And I implore everyone, if you... And by the way, this clip I'm playing here, the 20-minute clip that you can see on YouTube, which I'm only playing three minutes of, this one, I believe, was made in the 90s. But when the Blu-ray release of When Harry Met Sally came out, they reunited the cast. They all spoke about it. You can see snippets of that on YouTube as well. Just hearing about them talking about the movie, it just... It's a great organic conversation. But the 20-minute clip that I'm taking this from, I'm about to play, they did this in the style of the interviews they had in the movie, which is really cool, really fun. So let me just play this segment. But again, I implore everyone, if you love the movie, check out this interview with the writer and director. It's really great. So many fun things about behind the scenes. And it really just shows you how original and honest this movie is. You, me, and Andy Scheinman. Right. You sort of talked about your life, right. your lives, right. your lives as single guys. Right. And then that was the end of the lunch. Then you right. came back to New York. You were staying in a hotel in Central Park South. Right. And I went up to your room. And I, all I remember saying is that I had an idea. I didn't know what it was going to be. I had an idea, uh, scenes from a friendship. It was basically, I had seen Ingmar Bergman, scenes from marriage. And I was trying to find any way that I could codify in some kind of screenplay form all of the experiences that I had been going through as a single person for like 10 years. Yeah, that and is making... so not what happened. But what happened? What did I say to you? What you said was you had this idea for a movie that you'd right. always loved this idea. Two people become friends right. at the end of the first major relationship in each of their lives. Right. And they make a decision not to have sex because it will ruin the friendship. And, and then, then they, they have, have sex, sex and it, and it ruins, ruins the, the friendship. friendship. That's what you said. <laughs> that was it. And that's yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah. And you said it. And this was not the second idea you'd thrown at me. This was like you'd come in with a whole other thing. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. I remember the first thing I threw out. I remember you rejected it. And there was it. a second thing. And yeah. then you said, this sort of is a coda to the whole well, this meeting didn't work either, but I'll throw this one I'll out I'll throw there. this out and see if you'll take and it. You, I said, yeah, you I bit can right do away. that. Yeah, I yeah. can do that. Yeah. I immediately saw beginning, middle, and end. Right. I remember getting in a taxi to go home and absolutely knowing the structure of the movie, knowing that yeah. it started before it really started, right. um, that it would be a couple that kept bumping into each other at all the wrong moments. Times in their lives, yeah. And then suddenly, right. you know... I remember that the process of the, when we started working on it, uh, you being the great journalist and reporter that you are, you basically interviewed Andy and me to get stories and and yes, things. Yes, it was a horrifying experience. Just to hear about it our horrible. dating lives and how we had what we had gone through. You, yes, what you had gone through and what you had put other persons of through. another sex through. Yeah, yes, yeah. it was horrifying. It wasn't surprising it wasn't like you said things and i went oh my god are you trying to tell me that and yet it did have its moments right. of oh my god are you trying to tell me that but that's what i think made the movies work so well because you being horrified or whatever by oh my god this is what these guys do and then you adding the elements of what oh my god this is what women do or what women think about let me tell you something james and this is gonna really make me sound like a super fanboy. When you watch this interview they've done for 20 minutes, you could almost make a movie about them making a movie because the way they talk about where they're collecting all these stories from other people, the cast, Billy Crystal's ideas, Meg Ryan's ideas, and then do it sounds really fucking hilarious. It's kind of like, do you ever watch Kirby Enthusiasm? Yeah. 
Did you watch a season where they recreated the finale of Seinfeld? I did, yes. Do you see how that whole season was, how they got together, all of that? That was a great season. That was one of the best seasons of Kirby Infusion, in my opinion. And just watching that process, the cast, it was, it added a whole other layer. And then, obviously, you got to watch them make the movie as well. I've said this many, many times before in other discussions. There's something that, to me, elevates a movie when I hear the creative process. And again, I could just be speaking about myself. That just makes it even more enjoyable for me. And when I hear them all talk, and there's interviews with Billy Crystal McRyan as well, and all the things they did, and a lot of things they cut out as well. The things they cut out sounds hella interesting as well. Again, this isn't anything that, you know, me and you haven't been through with relationships, but it's just so fun when we all get together and we hear these stories and we see that shit's real. That shit's real. And again, that's what Woody Allen excels at. He's a very honest person, honest to a fault. <laughs> Some yeah. people might say. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that's always been the strength, one of the biggest strengths of Woody Allen. He is unapologetic and funny. And those strengths are just part of this movie's DNA. I think he mentioned that he was inspired by an Igma Bergman movie as well, which again is another Woody Allen connection because it's one of yeah. Woody's biggest inspirations as well. But yeah, I could talk forever, and I will. But I'll let you jump in, James. <laughs> uh, this is this is one of those, but like I said, I, I think the first time I watched it, I really sat down and watched it, I just thought, ah, this is, it's Annie Hall. You know, it just felt like it was so derivative that it didn't feel like its own thing to me mm. the first time I watched it. And also, too, it was just, it, it, you know, the movie came out in 1989, I probably w sat down and watched it for the first time in like 2017. So almost 30 years of just hype of it, you know, because it was on the uh, American Film Institute's yeah. uh, 100 Greatest Comedies. Yeah. Very high on that list, too. I think just, like I said, I, I sat down and I watched it and I went, eh, it's not so great. Sitting down to watch it yesterday with out the hype without knowing the Woody Allen connection was as strong as it was. I was able to just enjoy it. And this absolutely deserves its place on the, the AFI's hundred greatest comedies list. And I can't believe that, uh, come award season in, you know, 1990 that Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal weren't getting all the awards. Billy Crystal, I mean, we, I talked about Meg Ryan being great. Billy Crystal's phenomenal in this. Yeah. And he's one of those guys who never really became a movie star. I think this is probably the movie he's best remembered for. Yeah. But um, when he would make a movie, he was, he was always kind of himself in it. But that, it, that's okay. It was like, it's like with Woody. Woody is always Woody. Billy Crystal is always Billy Crystal. No matter what, I, I just, a few months ago, I watched this movie that he was in, him and, um, oh, I can't remember, Gregory Hines. Mm. And it's a, an action movie, like a buddy cop lethal weapon ripoff, where he and Gregory Hines play cops. And it's not a great movie. It's called Running Scared. But he's good in it, because he's playing Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal's a very likable person. And so no matter how cynical he is in the movie, no matter how immature he is, especially in the beginning, you like him. You never you never feel like he's a real jerk. Even when Meg Ryan is really turned off by him in the beginning, you never feel like he's really that bad. And like you said, the whole men and women can't be friends thing, I think he's supposed to be at that point in the movie like in his mid-20s. But there is a grain of truth in it. You know, it's not totally accurate, but there's a little grain of truth in it. That's what I'm saying, James. That was my that was my life ethos for a while. I know I know it's immature and I shouldn't even say it on the podcast, but I wholeheartedly believed it. But the problem with that is it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> I kept on saying it, and basically I was just, you know, making it happen that way as well. When the reality is it's, it isn't that black and white, really. No. 
as you get older, I think that does become when when you're when you're the age that Billy Crystal was supposed to be in that scene. I don't know that I could have necessarily been friends with any woman, especially if I found her attractive. Yeah. Twenty years later, I can. Yeah. So yeah, you you're seeing these two characters mature because there's these big time jumps in the movie. I think there's in like five years, two five year time jumps. Yeah. So you're seeing them in different places, but there's a through line. They always stay the same character. They never suddenly just change and become somebody else. But they're the same character. Billy Crystal is he's still a cynic. He's still, uh, but you see, you see Meg Ryan harden a little bit as she gets older. You see Billy Crystal soften a little bit. Well, let me ask you. Let's let's do a plug to one of our older episodes. Did you feel? They didn't do that in same time next year because those time jumps felt. Did they feel too drastic? Because I think that was one of our criticisms of that film when they were doing the time jump. There was one in particular where Alan Alda is a button-down conservative. Yeah, and then they do the time jump, and he's suddenly like a hippie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was one that was the most jarring for me, where I was like, "Oh no, he would not be wearing those pants. He would not have that mustache." Yeah. But here it didn't feel drastic. Yeah. To me, I, it's funny because Billy Crystal at that point was what probably in his early forties. But when he plays himself at twenty-five, I kind of bought it. Yeah. And Meg Ryan was just—I mean, she was probably younger still. She was probably in her early thirties. She moves through the time jumps seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah. I just rewatched Top Gun. Because I wanted to watch Top Gun Maverick, so I watched the first one, and obviously she has a very, very small role in there. And I think Top Gun, the first one was in 1986, so I think that might have been her biggest film before this one. Yeah. I mean, she was in a couple of other movies. She was in Inner Space. And I love that movie. I love Inner Space. I do too. And she's, but she was just sort of the girlfriend in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Uh, I think this was the first one where she really got to take center stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I just checked on IMDb. The writer Nora Ephraim, she was nominated for an Oscar for the screenwriting, which is 100% on point. Yeah. It's a great screenplay. Yeah, it's an absolutely great screenplay. And uh, she got BAFTA awards. In fact, she's got most of the awards here, well-deserved. Rob, Rob Reiner got one uh, from the BAFTA awards, but uh, no. The only winner was Nora. She won for the screenplays. Most of the yeah, most of them are hers. Good for her, man. Yeah, but this is this is one of those movies where I would say you had to have all four of those people. Yeah, if you replaced any of them, it wouldn't have worked. You know, we always do the what would Woody have done? Woody probably would have made more or less the same movie. I mean, this movie even has a jazz soundtrack. Yes. So I don't think it would have been a significantly different movie. This it feels very much like it was also influenced by husbands and wives, or not husbands and wives, but uh, Hannah and her sisters, which came out a couple of years before this. Do you know what's funny you should bring up? Nora Ephron has actually been in two Woody Allen movies herself. <laughs> has she? Yeah, but she's only, she was um just, uh, uh what do you call it, extra. Uh. Very strange that she's been in two, and obviously Billy Crystal's been in... um deconstructing harry as the devil which is a fucking yeah. phenomenal role i love that role it, he was in there he's really good he's yeah. one of the highlights of that movie yeah like you said woody would have done i think more or less the same thing but that's not a bad thing this is the best woody allen movie that woody allen didn't make yeah and there are a lot of those where that are not so the very first thing we ever talked about was i love you daddy and this and I Love You, Daddy, and When Harry Met Sally are the two polar opposite extremes of what you get when you try to rip off Woody Allen. Mm. What, and I would say When Harry Met Sally is more of more of paying homage to it, where I Love You, Daddy is just blatantly stealing things from Woody Allen. By the way, just think, I know some people be like, oh, you guys always say the, the point of Woody adjacent is to draw those parallels. But there's one thing they use in this movie that was lifted directly from Annie Hall. I don't care what they say. And that's the split screen. There wasn't a lot of movies that were used in that in romantic comedies 
that is lifted directly from Annie Hall. I don't think there's any denying that. No, it it, it feels pretty obvious. Yeah, it's a good scene, but uh, I would I would say it's not as good as the split screen scene in Annie Hall. I yeah. think that that scene is uh, tremendous. I mean, the the you know how often do you have sex? Oh, hardly ever. Three times a week. How often do you have sex? Constantly, three times a week. That's <laughs> one of the great, like, com- comedic moments in a movie for me. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's used here effectively enough. But yeah, it definitely feels like it was. There's a lot of stuff in here that feels like it was lifted directly from from Andy Hall. Uh, right down, like I said, right down to uh, the music, which was done by Harry Connick Jr. Which is a great soundtrack. I've had that soundtrack phenomenal, forever. Phenomenal soundtrack. This movie is one of the best. One of the best. Yeah. I was surprised, though, because the soundtrack, it's all Harry Connick Jr. singing. Yeah. Um, and here it's not. In the in the actual movie, it's not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack. They get everything right in it. I mean, there's really very little in this movie that I'd, I'd have to criticize. Actually, there's one thing I'll criticize, even though it's like a backhanded compliment. When I played this movie, you know what shocked me the most? Mm. The runtime. I was like, yeah. this, this movie isn't even that long. No, it's only an hour and a half. And honestly, what a triumph. I'm like, wow. I expected this movie to be two hours and ten minutes from my memory. One yeah. hour and a half. And when I'm funny enough, when I was watching the movie though. The back and forth between Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal meeting and meeting again, and I was like, "This movie's going on a bit long. Like, when are they gonna get kind of get to the point? Like, you know, I just wanted, even though I've seen the movie multiple times, I kind of felt like, when is this gonna culminate? Even though I already knew it would, it felt long, but I enjoyed every minute of it, and it wasn't even that long. So I was like, "Wow." The last movie we talked about, Alex in Wonderland. It was probably about the same runtime, and it felt like five hours out of my day. It probably was because I, I kept pausing the movie and walking away from it. I was about to say, are you sure that wasn't five hours, mate? Because that did not feel like an hour and a half at all. <laughs> yeah. But this, I, I just sat down and watched it all in one go. And uh, I was never bored. You know, the movie, was it, it, it clips along at a good pace. and. Uh, it's always got something interesting, always got something funny. Even the scenes that are, you know, there's there's a part where Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan have a fight after they sleep together. And Billy Crystal kind of realizes how bad he screwed up. And it's, it's a sad moment because he keeps calling Meg Ryan to try and get her to pick up the phone, leave messages on her answering machine. But every message is funny. Yeah. So this scene that would be in another movie, a downer, you're still laughing. Yeah. Um, ooh. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised how good this movie actually is. And that's, you know, that sounds ridiculous because I know how celebrated this movie is. But mm-hmm. the scene everyone goes on about, which we want to highlight right now, which I'm not going to play the clip for because we could just talk about it, which is the orgasm scene in the cafe or the diner. Do you know what is funny? I never... Well, the first time I watched it, I was eight. So I didn't get it at all. I didn't uh-huh. get the context. I just thought, you know, she's screaming. I didn't get the sexual context until I was much older. And when I did, I appreciated it a lot more. But I'll be honest with you. <laughs> for as great as that scene is, when I think of this movie, I don't actually think of that scene. I mean, it's the scene that everybody knows. It's one of the most famous scenes in a movie. Which I did love... When they interviewed Billy Crystal for the AFI 100 Greatest Comedies, he talked about that scene and he said he kept screwing up just because he wanted to hear her do it over and over again. <laughs> Funny. But that is possibly the best punchline in any movie ever, that I'll have what she's having. There is no way to do that better. There's no better tag at the end of that joke than that. This is what I love about this movie that I found out. This movie is a collection of everyone's efforts. Number one, that line was Billy Crystal's line that he thought of as they were doing the shot. So 
He got that as the finisher. But do you know, James, who that woman is that said that? I believe that was Rob Ryder's mom. Correct. That is amazing. It just it's so awesome how they all got together and helping each other and and yeah, if you um watch that interview, the full interview of them talking about the making of the movie, they speak about how when they first had the first screen of that movie, how women were wildly, hilariously cackling and the men were all silent. <laughs> like every single first screening they had that, the first 10 screenings before it got word of mouth and people knew it were coming. They just said the women were just howling and heckling and laughing and the men were stone-faced. And funny enough, you really, you, I'm telling you, you have to watch this interview. It's so funny. Because what happened was when they came up with the idea, Rob Reiner didn't believe it himself. He said, the writer said, this is what happens. Women, and he's like, no, they don't. No, they don't. So what he decided to do was in the screenwriter's room, in the, um, I forgot the name of the production company. He asked all the women in a meeting to, to ask, do women think orgasms? They all said yes. Yeah. And then that's when he was, he was shocked. He said he was shocked. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's so good that they ended up making an episode of Seinfeld that wholesale ripped that off. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of the best episodes of Seinfeld. Is that the contest? That's not the contest, is it? Not the contest. The one where uh, Elaine tells Jerry that she faked orgasms with him. And the whole rest of the movie, he's like, give me another chance. Oh, yeah, she does at the very end. Say, come on, come on. And he still fucks up. Yeah. <laughs> I, James, I just rewatched Seinfeld with my girlfriend last year. The whole, and we just finished watching Kirby Enthusiasm as well. So that is fresh in my mind. That's how good that joke is. And that's how relatable and universal it is. And it's one of those things where, if you're a guy, I mean, I can see how in 1989, when this was like maybe a newer concept to men, that uh, the men wouldn't have thought it was particularly funny. In 2022, every guy is just going to have to accept that not all of them are real. Like every, however often it happened, it has happened to you. If you've uh, been with enough women or it's a, it's a very universal thing and it's a very funny thing and you gotta laugh at yourself a little bit i mean it's never it's never happened with me yeah that's you know uh, i would know <laughs> <laughs> all right james you're gonna get a round of applause for that one <laughs> uh, uh ladies feel free to correct james anytime <laughs> right so now before i forget i want to talk about james the comedian. Do you know what I'm talking about? The comedian. No. Let me tell you something, man. Kerry Fisher. Uh, uh. Kerry Fisher. I know that after Star Wars, she just hit before the reboot, before the sequel trilogy. After she did Star Wars, the first she just hated Hollywood. She hated being, you know, this um icon, Princess Leia. She hated because, you know, she was fantasize about Oogled and all that stuff. The reason why I call her the comedian, James, only in recent years have I found out that she's been in so many movies I've watched in the 90s and I never recognised her at all. Yeah. This being one of their movies, I never knew that was fucking Carrie Fisher. I completely forgot she was in it. And she was also in, um, speaking of it, Hannah and Her Sisters. Yeah. Yeah, she could do a lot more than just Princess Leia. I feel like her and Mark Hamill both had that yeah. problem after Star Wars. Of Somehow Harrison Ford got away with it. But the two of them, nobody could see anything other than Luke and Leia. Do you know what's funny? Because I know Harrison Ford didn't give two shits about Star Wars, really. He's just another job for him. And he was, ah... All these, you can always hear him say, ah, oh, you know, whatever, I don't get it. People like it, whatever. Kill me if I come back, which they did. <laughs> um, Carrie Fisher said it ruined her career. Hollywood, she fell into drinking. And although in this movie she continued acting, every movie I've seen her in in the 90s, I'm like, I can't believe that's her because she never draws attention to herself. I don't know, there's something about her face that she can just 
dressed down. In this movie, she's funny. She's just the funniest, you know, best friend. But she's got the edge to her that she always has. And, you know, she's a beautiful woman and she's funny. And, you know, I, you know my heart breaks because she's such a phenomenal actress. And, yeah, I was just shocked. It was her. I'm like, that's fucking Carrie Fisher. Oh, my God. They're one of the greatest comedies of all time. Yeah. And she holds her own. No one ever talks about her in this movie, which is which I know she doesn't do that much. But it's just, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a real shame that she didn't get a chance to prove herself as more than she did. Because, I mean, she was in the Blues Brothers. She was great in that. Um, there's so many movies that, you know, she popped up in, in little roles. And, you know, she was the, the, the Burbs, which is one of my favorite, like, 80s comedies. She was Tom Hanks' wife in that. She's got, uh, she had range. Definitely. And everybody just wanted her to be Princess Leia. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame that they, they didn't give her more of a chance. She'd be, she'd be one of those people who, you know, she complained about it being difficult to be a woman in Hollywood. Yeah. Her, I would go, yeah. Yeah, you got a point. Yeah. Yeah. She did a one-man show that she did made into like a comedy special where she just put her life on stage. And this was wait, this was about five years before she uh, participated in the reboot movies. And she was really big then. She put on a lot of weight. She slimmed down for The Force Awakens. But it was just really interesting hearing her talk about Hollywood and what, how Star Wars kind of destroyed her career. And, you know, when she came back to Star Wars, I think that, you know, she enhanced the character even more, to be honest with you, because obviously she was a general and she had a lot of regalness to her. And unfortunately, she died before Star Wars, obviously, we won't get into. But it was nice seeing her here. I don't want to go on the tangent. It was nice seeing her here. And she's always a comedian to me because she just plays so many roles. And I've only recently found out that she's done this and some other movies. But yeah, she just never calls attention to herself because I don't think she wants to. She just wants to act. She just, and I really respect that from her. It's it's, It's a damn shame that she didn't really get to finish what she started with the the newer Star Wars movies. I've always said that whatever my problems are with the the sequel trilogy, one of the big problems that they had by the end was that they didn't have Carrie Fisher. Yeah, really. And the plan was for her to be kind of the center point of the last movie. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Uh, that really, you, you can't really fault anybody for that. Uh, it's just one of those things that happened. And I was always, I was glad that they found a way to include her in it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she's, she was a great comedian. And she doesn't get enough credit for that. And lastly, Bruno Kirby, which is um, Billy Crystal's best friend, you know, he's one of those actors that did a little bit of everything. I would always see him as a side actor. Obviously, he was in City Slickers with um, Billy Crystal, so they were friends as well. He did a lot of movies. He passed away, unfortunately, in 2006. I can see it on IMDb. But yeah, he was he was an actor that, you know, he didn't, again, make it big, big, but he was constantly working. If you look at his IMDb, he's been on a lot of movies. Stuart Little, Sleepers, uh, The Larry Sanders Show, a lot of stuff. Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, oh my God. Great movie with Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. He, he's great in it. And he was in uh, Donnie Brasco and uh, he's in uh, Godfather too. Nice. So he's one of those guys again. He didn't get enough credit, and it's good that he had this movie to where he could be not the lead, but he was the co-lead. Yeah, and he was very reliable. I, I as much as Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan should have gotten Oscar nominations, I think Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby could have gotten Oscar nominations for supporting actor and actress. Yeah, so. It's 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 very surprising that the movie didn't get more attention come awards time for his acting. Yeah, true, true. So, I mean, we could say more, but I guess I'll kind of wrap up my thoughts and say this. Annie Hall, of course, yes, but I think When Harry Met Sally is, is an easier movie to try to emulate. And I can tell you, James, we got about four movies like this that we're going to be talking about as part of Woody Adjacent. It deserves to be where it's at. And my appreciation for the movie has only grown now that I know all the behind stuff, which again, I've said it five or six times. 
that interview with the writing director, phenomenal. It's a, This movie was a team effort. And the people that you don't see in front of the camera, behind, that contributed, have so many funny stories that, again, I honestly think there's a lot of movies that do the making of. They could definitely do a making of this movie based on what I've heard. So take that for what it's worth. But yeah, this movie is already lauded and, and marveled and held in high regard. So, I mean, again, I said it was low-hanging fruit before we even did the recording because I know how many people love it. But if you're tired of When Home It's Sally and you've seen it, like I've, have you seen it recently on your own without all the glamour, without everyone loving it? I think this is a movie that you should just try to separate yourself from the masses and the, you know, just the word of mouth and just enjoy it on its own. And for those of you who don't want to watch it because it's, oh, oh everyone loves that movie. Oh, oh I don't want to watch it. You might be surprised. You, This is a really good movie that is well-deserved place where it is. And yeah, it was it was great watching it again. I will, I'll watch it sometime in the future, I'm sure. I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, it stands the test of time. Yeah, it's 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 so good that I I don't I don't buy DVDs as much as I used to, but uh, well, after finishing it, I was like, I want to own this. Yeah, like I want this. I don't want to. You know, I watched it on HBO Max, but uh, I thought, you know what? It's it won't be on there forever. They'll shuffle it around. It'll disappear. And I want this to be just something I can watch whenever I want. Yeah. Nice. What more of a rating endorsement can you get? But again, that's, this is a no-brainer, right? What did you really expect? If we didn't like the movie, <laughs> and I'm sure there are haters of this movie, then, you know, <laughs> why don't you let us know your thoughts in the comment section down below? But I think the most pushback we're probably going to get on this movie is that it's just overexposed, overblown, overhyped. And I can understand. I really can understand that. But saying all that, have you really given it a chance and checked it out on its own, aside from everything else? You know, you might have a new appreciation for it, you know, because it's still better than a lot of shit, a lot of movies that are on Netflix, a lot of dumb romantic comedies that Netflix and Hulu and Amazon spit out. Because trust me, there's a lot of them. A lot of the bad, bad romantic comedies that eventually Meg Ryan made. <laughs> Oh, uh, James, that's so bad. You're going to get a beef for that. Why are you bringing that down now? <laughs> I, I I had to sit through You've Got Mail. She became the person who, you know, we talked about the movie They Came Together. The character that uh, Amy Poehler is playing is absolutely supposed to be Meg Ryan in just about any movie after When Harry Met Sally. James, I, I've got something to tell you. I'm going to play the sad music. <laughs> I like a lot. You've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in the theater when I was 18, and I do not remember anything about it. I really, other than just thinking, yeah. this is bland. <laughs> I really like you got mail. I've watched it. I like it more than Sleepers in Seattle, without a doubt. But, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a remake of The Shop Around the Corner, which is... Um, but anyway. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle. Can't believe Dave Chappelle is Tom Hanks's, like right-hand man in that playing a straight man. I completely forgot that. <laughs> yeah, it is the most perplexing thing you will ever see. Dave Chappelle playing a straight man to Tom Hanks. Weird as fuck. But I think we're going to save that for another discussion since you said it's been a long time since you've seen we've got, you know... <laughs> I feel like it's in my future. <laughs> it's a it's a hated movie, but we'll talk about it in the future, James. One day, one day, one day. So, James, I'm all talked out. Have you got anything else to say before we wrap this episode up? I would say that if you, you know, like you said, if you think the movie is overrated and overexposed, you're probably right a little bit. But uh, it's still a great movie, regardless. So, push past that and give it a give it a chance. Why not? And again, we're probably singing to the choir that you don't need to convince anyone to watch When Harry Met Sally. Maybe not, but you know, there might be a few stragglers that are still putting their toffee nose up to it. So yeah. Anyway, that is that, James. Another year. This is the last recording of the year, 2022 for Woody Allen Adjacent. James, I want to thank you for continuing 
for not running away, number one, <laughs> and for continuing. After Alex said Wonderland, it was tempting. <laughs> That's why we did them back-to-back things, because I, 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 you were running away. I said, come back here. Come back here, sir. We've got one more to do. So, yeah, man, thank you. The year is over. I appreciate you, James. I know we're going to... Um, I'm going to let you give our um, last shout-out to Carly before we wrap up, and then, yeah, we'll end the show. Yeah, uh, just to repeat what we said in the beginning, uh, she's going through a rough time health-wise. she got two young kids. So if you could donate to the link below to her GoFundMe, I know it would mean a lot to her. Yes, it would. And you'll be helping someone in this, uh, you know, very trying time of year. People buying gifts, buying nonsense, but help someone's life, you know. So please, we appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. Um, we hope you have a happy, I don't want to say Christmas because some of you don't like Christmas. So let's just say a happy seasonal end of the year. Whatever you're doing for this part of the year, for the new year, we want to thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, if you can find it in your heart to leave a review for the podcast, it will go a long, long way. We've got a lot of haters. We would appreciate some of the support. But we thank you for riding with us. We thank you for listening. James, where can they find you if they want to reach you, as always? You can find me at the Manic Expression YouTube channel. And my new novel, Don Giovanni, is available on Amazon. Yes, don't forget to put Don Giovanni in your Amazon wish list and give it to gift it to someone, even though this episode will come out probably just after Christmas, you can still give it to them as a New Year's gift. Let them enter the new year with Don Giovanni. That would be a good gift. But anyway, that's it for me. The links to everything we discussed will be in the description. Thank you for listening. Have a happy rest of the year. Stay safe, stay warm, stay cozy, and we'll see you in 2023.